Morning, church family. It's uh, awesome to be back. Uh, we were gone for a couple weeks, and um, and I'd like to share more later what it, what happened. But we were able to be part of a, a wedding this past week, and uh, for close family friends, and uh, up in Washington. So that was wonderful. And I, I realized how much I miss being away, and it's great to be back on the pulpit. So. I want to start off by reading something out of a book that I've been uh, studying. It goes like this. A wealthy plantation owner invited John Wesley to his home. The two rode their horses all day. Seeing just a fraction of all the man owned, at the end of the day, the plantation owner proudly asked, Well, Mr. Wesley... What do you think? After a moment's silence, Wesley replied, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all of this. Randy Alcorn goes on to write in his book, All of us form attachments. All of us have a place we call home. The question is, do we think and live as if this world or the next world is our home? Are our minds on earth or heaven? The plantation owner was attached to the world. He wasn't. He wasn't. Wesley was attached to the world he was going to. Perhaps you've heard it said, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. Yet scripture commands us to set our minds on heaven. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Alcorn goes on to say, when we're, pro- when we're properly heavenly minded, we'll be of maximum heavenly and earthly good. But when we are too earthly minded, we, are ultimately, we, ultimately, we will ultimately bring no good to heaven or earth. This is a book called Money, Possessions, Eternity by Randy Alcorn. Very helpful book on giving in chapter 15, Paul took us, took us, took us to the heights of heaven. We were soaring into heaven as we had a sneak peek into what heaven is like. And for a moment, the cares of this world, the concerns of this world didn't matter because we would be resurrected someday with resurrected bodies and with the resurrected Lord. Chapter 15 is like the height, soaring at the heights of 1 Corinthians and perhaps all of the Bible. And verse in chapter 16, we learn that, we're going to learn that Paul brings us back into earth. Paul's basically telling us we're not home yet. There's much work to be done. The harvest is great. And earth is merely a launching pad for what's coming next. And so let's turn to 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to be reading... I'm going to back up a few verses to provide some context, but we'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians 16. Actually, we'll start at verse 15, I mean, cha- uh, first, uh, chapter 15, verse 55. So let's rise as we read out of the Word of God together. Verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is the portion we'll be preaching out of today. Verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together as a church family corporately to worship you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you, by your power of your Holy Spirit, you allow me to preach your word faithfully. And I pray, Lord, that your word would richly dwell within us. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. As we practice sequential exposition, what does that mean? We, we preach the Bible verse by verse. We simply try to explain what the Bible has to say as we march down Corinthians or any book of the Bible. The Lord brings us to giving. It's a very important topic for us to give, uh, to talk about on giving. And the last time we preached on giving was in the fall of 2019 after I assumed role as senior pastor here at Evergreen. Um, called Treasuring Christ. So on your apps, we've placed a link if you want to review more on the seven-part series on giving on, uh, and called Treasuring Christ. So you could lis- listen to that you review throughout this week. But verse 3, I want to turn our attention to verse 3. Paul writes, When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. This word gift in the original language is charis which means grace. This is what Pastor Paul covered. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Grace gift or grace giving to Jerusalem. So therefore, the title of the sermon is called Grace Giving. Grace Giving. In essence, we're going to be asking one question throughout this whole sermon. I got five points I'll give it to you ahead of time. What does grace giving call for? What does grace giving call? call for. And the five points, grace giving calls for meeting needs. Number two, grace giving calls for worshipful regularity, worshipful regularity. Number three, grace giving calls for sacrificial generosity. We'll cover these uh, points as we go through the sermon. I just want to give you kind of a roadmap of where we're headed. Grace giving calls for cheerful willingness, cheerful willingness. And then finally, grace giving calls for trustworthy accountability. Trustworthy accountability. So let's get to our first point. First of all, what does grace giving call for? Number one, grace giving calls for meeting needs. Meeting needs. Fill in the blank. Needs. Verse one, let me read this again. Now concerning collection for the saints. The collection for the saints. What is going on? Verse three talks about they're sending a grace gift or grace giving to Jerusalem. What was going on at the Jerusalem church? Very difficult situation going on at, in Jerusalem. As Pastor Paul prayed, 
There was persecution in Afghanistan and other parts of the world. There was great persecution in Jerusalem. We think of Jerusalem in a historic sense, which it is. Jerusalem has been this called the city of David, the capital of Israel. This is where the temple was. This is where the Temple Mount is still. This has been the center of religious or Jewish festi- uh, festival activities. Jerusalem is historic and significant. But the Jerusalem church in the first century were very poor. They were poor. You would think this is like the capital of Christianity, perhaps. And perhaps this place will be thriving financially. But they were very poor. Why? Incredible persecution was taking place. As Pastor Paul preached out of Acts 2, soon after that, there would be great persecution. The Jewish leaders would come against the, the early Christians with the full force. And a lot of the Christians were displaced from their homes. They were refugees. And 10 years later, approximately, you know, according to Acts eleven twenty eight, there was a severe famine that would hit the region as well. Poor Christians. And also having all these fest- uh, festivals come in at a regular rate would actually create a burden for the local church in Jerusalem as well. So they were poor. And although the situation has changed, we're not calling for giving for the Jerusalem church. The Holy Spirit in, in, in his timeless wisdom has applied this timeless truth for us that grace giving calls for meeting the needs of the saints. Well, this is exactly what we're called to do. And I, and I thought it would be helpful for our church family to kind of recount our church history a little bit. And I do this for two reasons. One, to remember our Lord's gracious dealing with Evergreen Church. He loves Evergreen. It's obvious. Just look back in, on Providence and how he's provided for our church family over the years. He loves our church. And secondly, we've been in a season of transition. We've had people transition out, but we've had people transition in over the last year and a half or so. And for your benefit, I think it's helpful to understand our church history some. And I just want to give us a little history of how the Lord brought us to our campus here in La Puente. So back in 2007, God graciously provided this campus for us. In 2007, our church family purchased this property from a a church called Victory Outreach Fellowship. And the purchase price, believe it or not, back then in 2007 was $20 million. And it took another additional $3 million to renovate and to move in. So a moving cost of $23 million. Amazing. And to fund this movement, the Lord graciously used faithful and generous givers through giving campaigns. And each giving campaign lasted for three years. And at the beginning of each three years, the church will call on for a first fruits offering where the people generously gave and then call for a monthly commitment to pay for the property. And that went on for 15 years, 15 years. So thank you, church family, for being so generous. And um, how, how our, the funding of our church was set up was to, we had a general fund, which was funded through regular giving, all right, and this supported ministries, uh, expenses, staff, missionary support, 
partner organizations and other ministries that we're a part of. And then this giving campaign funded the building fund, which paid for the mortgage or any uh, major renovations that needed to take place on campus. Well, through Providence, the credit union no longer required for us to do a giving campaign. And one of my first major decisions as senior pastor was, do we continue to do giving campaigns? And that was a big decision upon a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment, a lot of conversations with our church leaders. The, 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 the dilemma came up. Do we believe that the Lord will provide the general expenses in addition to paying for the mortgage through one fund now, just through the giving of the saints? And for a young pastor, a brand new pastor, that was a daunting thing, quite frankly. That tested my faith. And, but in my soul, in my bones, I, I didn't think a giving campaign was what our church needed. You know, 15 years is a long time, and man, I'm so grateful for the sacrificial giving of our church family. I just said, let's preach the word. Let's preach on giving, what it looks like. And I believe the Lord will provide our needs through one big fund. And so just to give you an idea, um, so the Lord led us to stop the campaign, and, and this was at the bottom of 2019. Who would have known that COVID would be coming just months later? The Lord knew. The Lord knew. I'm so grateful for God's wisdom and timing on this. So we stopped the giving campaign. But uh, we've been able to refinance the the mortgage. And one time we were paying $57,000 monthly. Now, uh, by God's providence and and, and grace, the the mortgage has been lowered to $30,000 per month. And our leadership, we, we've been uh, paying 15 above that to pay down the loan sooner. And so we discussed this as a leadership group, whether to pay that additional 15000 or not. But just to give you an idea of what it takes to operate this, uh, the church here, it's roughly $222,000 a month. $222,000 a month. But why do I go on to share this with you is this, just to let you know throughout all that time, even now, even with the debt, I'm so grateful that we have a history and lineage of our church family that we would give to ministries outside of our church, just like how Paul is talking about here, now concerning the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. The Corinthians would not perhaps get to even meet one single saint from Jerusalem. Many of the Corinthians were rich. Many of the Corinthians were educated in the finest universities. The saints in Jerusalem were poor and mostly Jewish. A lot of the Corinthians were Gentiles, non-Jews. They didn't have much in common. However, Paul is urging the Corinthian church to give to saints in a far-off land who are going through a hard time. And I'm grateful in our church history, we've been committed to missionaries. We've been committed to ministry partners. We've been committed to church planting. We've had a global emphasis in Japan, China, Malawi, Africa, and other places. We've been involved in relief work. And so now as our Lord is moving us, we still want to be committed to these things. And this is a good thing as we read at our first uh, Corinthians 16.1. And we've even growing in our emphasis in our local outreach. 
We want to reach our local Jerusalem here at Acts 1-8, our local neighborhood, with the gospel. We want to bring people into our church family from who live around our surrounding area in La Puente. And our desire as a church family and as a leadership is to steward this long-term participation. As long as the Lord tarries, we want to be involved with this. And in order for us to be involved with this, grace-giving needs to thrive at Evergreen. And so as any grace-giving that's given, this supports the work of discipleship locally, within our church, locally, within our neighborhood, but also abroad. This is our commitment as a church. And you can see out of Scripture how important this is. So grace-giving calls for meeting needs. That's really the emphasis here, to think outside of ourselves, to think outside of ourselves individually, to think of our outside of ourselves corporately, to think of the Christians around the world, to think of the Christian down the street, to think of the Christian across the street even, to think of the Christian that lives next to you, right? I mean, this is where God has called us to have a communal or global mindset for the brotherhood and sisterhood. This is right. This is what the Bible talks about. Now, let's, what does grace giving look like? What does the pattern of grace giving look like? This is important that we take a look at this here. Let's look at verse 2 here. We understand there's a great need around the world and, and locally, but what does grace giving look like for the Christian here at Evergreen and in any local church? Verse 2 says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. On the first day of every week, what is the first day of every week? Some of us may say Sunday, which it is. But this is the Lord's Day. God is talking about the Lord's Day right here. And the, you can see how the early church even gathered from, they trans, uh, transitioned from worshiping on seventh day, Saturday, to the first day. Why? Church family, why did the early church transition from worshiping God on the seventh day to the first day? Why do we call it the Lord's Day? Because, yes, that's right, because that's the day that the Lord was resurrected. This is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is like Easter for us. Every Sunday we acknowledge that Christ died and rose again. Every Sunday we acknowledge that we worship a living God. So grace giving starts off with worship. We're worshiping the risen Lord who paid everything to save you and me, Christians. Grace giving starts and it's about a response to his, it's about worship. And it says about on every, every one of you, it says, every one of you is talking about every single Christian. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, young or old, poor or rich, whatever, whoever you are as a Christian, we're called to participate in this. And it says every week, this is a regular form of giving the Lord is talking about here. And this is, is to put aside and save. So grace giving calls for worshipful regularity. Regularity is the fill in the blank. Worshipful regularity. And this word to put aside here out of verse 2, I want to draw our minds and eyes to verse 2 here. It says each one of you is to put is to put. That's in the present tense in the, in the original language. What that means is it's an ongoing, regular thing that we do. 
regular. This is a way of life. Is to put present tense regular practice. That means this is just how we do life. Grace giving calls for worshipful regularity. This is just how we do life. This is how, this is one way that we regularly worship Christ, the risen Lord. And what does this look like? I think today, in today's day and age, we have a lot of technology. Um, we have various options. Perhaps you prefer to put it in person into the boxes back there. That's great. Perhaps you like to mail it in. That's great. Perhaps you could, you give online or use the app. That's great as well. It's all good. But the one thing that I would encourage us to do as you give on a regular basis, whether it's weekly, every other week, whether it's monthly, is just be intentional about worshiping God through it. Let's not just be robotic or automatic about this, you know. So for some, I hear some, which is, it's a good thing, the practice of writing out a check, filling out the envelope and putting it in is a form of worship. It helps them connect to the worship process. That's great. That's great. And if you don't need that, that's great too. But be intentional about why you're giving. This is about worship. And really, worship, we're worshiping Christ because he's worthy of it. Right? So grace giving calls for worshipful regularity. Let's go to point number three here now. In grace giving, how much is everyone called to give? Right? People would ask me, Pastor, how much am I to give? Well, this point number three says this grace giving calls for sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. Let's look at verse two again. We're gonna, we're mining a lot out of verse two here. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, comma, as he may prosper, as he may prosper. Sacrificial generosity. Kistenmacher and Hendrickson, commentators of, uh, who, who wrote a book on, uh, who comments on 1 Corinthians, writes, How much ought the Christian believer to give? The word tithe does not occur. Instead, Paul lays down the clear principle that a believer should give in relation to the prosperity he or she receives from the Lord. Let me read that again. Instead, Paul lays down the clear principle that a believer should give in relation to the prosperity he or she receives from the Lord. In the Greek word, the verb to prosper means to be led along a good road. In other words, according to how much God has blessed you to give, right? We've all been blessed in various ways. The agent for this prosperity is the Lord, to whom believers gratefully ought to donate their gifts. Psalm 50, as Brother Tim Wong read, 10 through 12 says, For every beast of the field is mine. God owns everything, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. For the world is mine, and all it contains. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. First of all, God owns everything and God is the one that has blessed us with our finances. And we're mere stewards. That means that we take care of it for God. We actually don't own it. God says he owns it all. He's actually allowed us to steward it or to use it. So it's really all from the Lord and it's all, it all belongs to the Lord. And so how much are we to give? Sacrificially. 
That's what the Bible's talking about. And what does this look like? In verse 5, this is an interesting thing. The reason why I went on to verse 5 is this, but let me read this. Paul mentions Macedonia, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia. And as Paul writes 2 Corinthians, I can't help but think how Paul was influenced by the Macedonians. So this is what sacrificial giving looks like. Turn to your right, one book, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. eight chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians are, are significant chapters on giving in, under the new covenant. So this is what he, what he experienced as he traveled through Macedonia, which is northern Greece, and he would have to travel to southern Greece, Achaia, which is where uh, Corinth is located. But let's read through here and see what we could see, what sacrificial generosity looks like. Now, brethren, so Paul's writing to the Corinthian church before he gets there for, for the collection. We wish to make known to you the grace, there it is again, the grace, the charis of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Macedonian church were, were grace to give, their grace to be generous. And this is the big theme throughout this whole sermon, grace. And in the great ordeal of affliction, the Macedonian church knew persecution. This war-ravaged region went under hardship. And let me keep reading. Uh, and in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, they're very poor as well, just like the Jerusalem church, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That means they were generous despite being persecuted, despite being poor. They were generous people. This is what Paul is telling the Corinthians who were educated, who were more comfortable, who were wealthy in relation to the Macedonian church. And through verse 2, we're able to understand that the Macedonian church understood, understood the pain of persecution, understood the struggles of poverty. So when Paul goes to them and talks to them about the Jerusalem church, there was an immediate connection they could relate to the Jerusalem church. There was an immediate level of compassion that rose up. So when you experience the same thing as someone else is going through, you have this immediate compassion. The level of empathy is there. So the Macedonian church, although Paul knew that they were poor, I wonder how Paul must have felt in asking, could you contribute to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem? This was a response in verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability... According to their ability, they didn't have much. And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Sacrificial giving. They gave according to what they had, even to the point where hurt, where above, beyond their ability, they gave. Now, as you're sitting there, brothers and sisters, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I have needs. You know, it's expensive to live in Southern California, which it is. Very expensive. I mean, housing, gas prices. I was talking to Armand, who's from Kazakhstan, and I was saying, how much does gas cost over here? It's about, I don't know, about less than $2 a gallon. I mean, I'm driving by four twenty-five on the way to on the way to church. It's expensive to live in Southern California. We get this. Well, let me just give you some principles to help navigate this in our minds, and particularly if you're head of a household, you feel the weight of supporting a family, and we get it. First Timothy 5.8 says that you're worse than a non-believer if you don't take care of your household. So obviously Christians were called to take care of our families. 
the needs of our families. Absolutely. Feel good about that. This is how you're serving the Lord, by caring for a family that God's given you. Proverbs 21.20. Proverbs 21.20 talks about saving is wise. Yes. So saving is good. Saving is good. Now let's go to the counterbalance of this. Needs versus wants. Those are some needs. Needing the needs of our family, saving for certain things. This is good. But what, where does it cross the line to luxurious living or to hoarding? Randy Alcorn in this book talks about in America, the average giving by professing Christians is at 2.5%. 2.5%. Right? 2.5%. And hoarding he talks about when you're saving so much, talk about financial independence. Alcorn goes on to say, it's like replacing God with money. All right, let me just read out of Luke here. This is kind of a, what Jesus talks about in giving. Now, it's interesting. Jesus Christ, according to Alcorn, taught more on money than he did on heaven and hell. Isn't that interesting? That's what Alcorn says. And, but I'm going to read Luke 12, 18 through 20 for us here. Then he said, this is what I will do. This is the, this man that Jesus creates as, as a story here. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. We know this story. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, bigger storehouses, expand my business. And I will say to my soul, so this man is having a conversation amongst himself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. One less thing to worry about. Be comfortable financially. But look what happens. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Verse 21, let me just give you one more. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Wow. What a warning. So just to give you kind of a, maybe a sentence or a statement to kind of help with this. I'm not sure where I got this. Maybe this came to me on my own or I borrowed it from someone, but I want to. Living sacrificially, what does it look like? Sacrificing, this is the statement, sacrificing personal wants. Sacrificing personal wants to meet the needs of others. Sacrificing personal wants for meeting the needs of others. This is sacrificial living. Sacrificial living. Now I want to give a little bit of a word on tithing. You know, I know many of us have been taught to tithe. I grew up uh, being taught to tithe. And what is a tithe? A tithe merely means 10%. And in the Old Testament, the Jews were uh, charged to tithe three different tithes. And grand total, it was like a 23 and a third that Israelites would give to, to the leadership of Israel. And if you want, you can listen to sermon number three on treasuring Christ on why we do not teach a tithe. But Randy Alcorn is very helpful, uh, just reading his book. Randy Alcorn says that if you want to use tithe as training wheels, that's a good start. It's a good start, meaning if you need help to learn how to ride a two-wheel bike, then use the tithe. If 10% helps you to kind of get a good starting point, go for it. You know, that may be a helpful guideline and serve as a tutor, you know, until you're ready to ride. Or some people in here may not even be able to give 10%, right? So uh, 10% is is perhaps a general guideline, not a requirement. 
that you may want to use. And, and for some in here, it's been tough times. You may not be able to give 10% or even come close to that. And that is still sacrificial generosity. God sees, right? Remember the widow and, his, and her mites? God sees what you give. And it's really, God sees it all. I don't get to see it. We have, we have auditors. We have people who look over the things. And uh, I do not look at these statements. I have no idea what each individual gives or doesn't give. I just know what I give and what my wife and I give to the Lord. And the Lord knows. And so, but the Lord knows. You know, either way, the Lord knows. Let's move on to point number four. What kind of heart does God, does God look for in grace giving? Gr- point number four, grace giving calls for cheerful willingness. Let's fill in the blank. Cheerful willingness. Okay, we're going to go back to verse two again of chapter 16. At the end, it says this, so that no collections be made when I come. No collections be made when I come. A lot of commentators extract the implication that if Paul was saying, give on your own accord so that when I come, you're not going to be pressured to scrounge up some funds or to feel the pressure or the weight of having the Apostle Paul saying, okay, I'm here to collect and bring the funds to Jerusalem church. Give willingly. Give, give on your own accord. All right, so let's go back to the Macedonian example. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 here at the end. It's amazing how the Bible explains itself. The Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. And as, you, as that class that Pastor Terry is going to teach, how to study the Bible, this is important. How we are able to cross-reference with other parts of the Scripture to give more light to what, what is being spoken of, about. 2 Corinthians sheds a lot of light for in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians 16. So let's read first, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 3 again. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. You see that? They gave of their own accord. They wanted to do this. They wanted to do this. This was their own idea. Oh, we want to participate. How do we know this? Look what, look what Paul writes in verse 4. This is amazing. Begging us. The Macedonian church was begging us with much urging for the favor, or this word for favor is grace, for the grace of participation. Can we be blessed to support this, Paul? Please let us give. I know you're saying, hey, you don't have much. I'm just saying this so you can pray and to give what you can. But, you know, I understand where this region is at. We might have to get a collection for you guys too. But Paul says they begged us. They begged us, please let us participate. Is that cheerful willingness? (laughs) In the support of the saints in the support of the saints. Verse 5, you may ask, why were they like this? Why were the Macedonians so generous and so into giving when they didn't even have much? Verse 5, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves, this is the key, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The Macedonians knew Everything that we are belongs to Christ. My life belongs to Christ. He purchased me. This is the mark of a Christian, a follower of Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. When you give yourself, you surrender yourselves to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus, you own me. You purchased me, just like we sang on the songs. Jesus, thank you. 
it's just natural for me to give myself to you. That means my time, my energy, my focus, my passion, my money even, which is really your money, Lord. That's the key. That's the key. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let's sum up this whole cheerful willingness in one verse as well. This is all summed up here. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one, there it is again, each one, every single Christian, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. What have you determined before the Lord while I'm going to give? This is a private thing. This is your opportunity to worship. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. What does that mean? I have to. The pastor's making me do this. I have to because my parents are saying to do this. I have to do this, otherwise my friends will look down upon me. That's not it. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, but God loves a what? A cheerful giver. That's right. God loves a cheerful giver. This sums it all up right there. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, what new covenant giving looks like. This is what grace giving looks like. Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the Macedonians had this not with a, with a I have to attitude, I have to do this. Obviously, they had this attitude, rather, I get to attitude. I get to. Paul, please let us participate in this. Can we be so blessed? The Macedonians. The Macedonians. Pastor and author Richard Halverson writes, all through scripture, all through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. You know how Jesus said you know them by their fruit? A fruit of where our spiritual maturity may be indicated by how generous we are. Right? Because it's normal. Jesus Christ is generous. Therefore, it would be natural for us, his people, to be generous as well. I read this someplace. Let me look at your calendar and your bank account, and I'll tell you what you love. Right? How, our, how we invest our time and our money indicates what or who we love the most. Isn't that the truth? Look at your, go through your phone and see your calendar. How do you spend your time on a regular basis? And also, how do you spend your money? That's very important for you to kind of help evaluate yourself, to shepherd yourself. All right, let's get to the final point here. This is important now. This is a significant uh, point that Paul makes. And we're going back to 1 Corinthians 16 here, guys. How should the leadership handle grace giving? All right. Point five, grace giving calls for trustworthy, trustworthy accountability. Trustworthy accountability. Let me read you verse three and four, okay? Of First Corinthians 16. When I arrive, whomever you may approve. See, Paul is very conscious of how the money is handled. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, your grace gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. I'll go if I need to go. Whomever you may approve, dokimazo, that means whomever you've examined and found to be above reproach, whomever you found to be trustworthy in the congregation, whomever, 
And in 2 Corinthians 8, I'm just going to keep reading more how important it is for good accountability. 2 Corinthians 8, 20. Taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Doing things above reproach is critical in, when handling grace giving. So the leadership must be transparent. The leadership must have trustworthy men and women to take care of the finances. We must be above reproach. At Evergreen, we have a team of people laying staff. We have a treasurer who you have approved, an assistant treasurer whom you have approved. We have a board of trustees. We have a church board. We have a team of counters who comes in every week to count whatever is brought in. And we have the staff. All of us are involved in this, how we handle the grace giving, the accountability. Every single person involved in this list is accountable to the Lord and to all of us and how we handle the grace giving. We have a bookkeeper, Jerry Morita, who keeps our, our accounts and counts for us. We have an annual auditing process through an outside firm to make sure everything's done above reproach. Remember, Paul says it needs to be above reproach before God and before man. And even decisions that we make and how we spend our money is done as a team. We're doing things as a team. We do things as, 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 as the Bible has prescribed us to do. Accountability needs to be there. I mean, right, currently, right now, the staff, the church board, even the trustees, we're praying through and discussing how to adjust the church budget for this coming year. We're already praying and thinking about 2022. And should we keep things the same? Should we adjust some things to fit more truer our vision of discipleship at Evergreen? We're under that process. We're all praying and sending out emails. I'm doing Zoom meetings with various people. We're meeting as a board this past Friday. This is done as a team. For example, we're even praying through and discussing bringing on a, a, a young adult pastor who will serve as a discipleship pastor. We're even praying, discussing how we could bring a local outreach pastor to, for us to be effective in reaching the surrounding area. We're praying through all those things as a team. Decisions aren't made in the vacuum. These are things that have been brought up so we have months to pray about and to talk about to, to fit the direction of our church. So grace giving is significant. This is, a, this is very much detailed out here. This is a, a significant topic for us to preach on. It's very important. This is very important. Now I want to just say this here in conclusion. To the non-Christian here, we do not want you to give anything. Even if you're a guest, we don't want you to give anything. We want you to give to your local church. But to the non-Christian Please do not give. We really want you to receive freely from us right now. And ultimately, we want you to receive the free gift of eternal life. That's what we desire for, for you to receive. Because God says, for, for by grace you have been saved as a gift of God. A gift is free. And that's our greatest desire for you if you're a non-Christian here. Even if you've been coming here for years and years and years and you're starting to realize I'm actually not a follower of Christ, 
Receive the free gift of salvation. Come under Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do it today. Do it now. And you may be asking as a non-Christian, how is this even possible? Is anything in life free? Well, let's finish up here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Let me just read you one verse, one last verse here. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Grace has been the big theme of, our, of this sermon, hasn't it? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Pastor Paul said it well in a way that even my young children can understand. Getting what we don't deserve. For, by the, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. And really, this is the appeal for the Christian. If you, if you consider yourself redeemed in Christ, this is the appeal for all of us to give. This is what this is about. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich and he became poor. Let's, take, let's kind of go through this a little bit more. Jesus is God. Jesus took on human skin. Jesus is the creator of everything. He spoke everything into existence. He hung out with the created ones. Jesus is the unlimited one. He's God himself. He put aside some of his divine privileges walking on earth. Jesus sits on heaven's throne. He walked off his throne to be a homeless man in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the eternal king, sovereign one. He willingly became a slave. Jesus Christ is the one who's worshipped by heavenly angels right now and throughout eternity. He willingly was mocked and mistreated by those who he created. Jesus Christ enjoyed, enjoyed perfect relationship and fellowship in the Trinity he willingly was betrayed by his closest friends. Jesus Christ is the giver of life. Jesus Christ willingly died on the cross. Rich became poor. Through his poverty, we might become rich. Christians, we were once citizens of hell, but we were made citizens of heaven now. We're enemies of God. Now we've made, become sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted into his family. We've become rich. We were once condemned as sinners. Now we've been saved and considered forgiven. Rich. We had no hope at one point. Now we have certain hope. Rich. We were dead, walking dead men and women. Now we have resurrection life to look forward to. Rich. See, grace giving is, is more than an appeal to like, this is how you do it. This is how much you give. Grace giving is completely energized by the grace that you've experienced. It goes right back to Christ. He who was rich became poor so that we could become rich through his poverty. Grace giving is about Grace, it's about understanding grace. It's about embracing the grace. It's about 
receiving the grace, do we understand fully what we've been given through Jesus Christ, our Lord? So grace giving just simply becomes a matter of life at that point. This is how we do it. Because as Randy Alcorn has said, and as Paul has written from 1 Corinthians 15 to 1 Corinthians 16, we're not home yet, brothers and sisters. There's much work to be done. And while we're here, let's live out the grace that we've experienced through our generosity. This is what this is about. We get to be like Christ, in, in, in other words. Isn't that exciting? Jesus Christ, the one who gave up everything, we get to be like him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for becoming poor so that we could become rich. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for us. Jesus, thank you for washing away our sins through your blood. Jesus, thank you for satisfying the Father's wrath for us. Jesus, thank you for making us your friends through your sacrifice. Jesus, thank you for this amazing grace that you poured out on our lives. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Lord, help us to respond to this grace by understanding the grace even more, to studying the grace more, to meditating on this grace even more. Help us to respond by becoming gracious givers, Lord, of our time, our energy, our talents, our money for kingdom work. So, you, Lord, you call us to abound in the work of the Lord. This is what you call us to do. Help us to abound, bursting at the seams in the work of the Lord. Help us to be like the Macedonians who are begging to participate. Help us to be like this because we've experienced and understand the grace of God that's been poured out through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying it all. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.